Get ready, competitors, because today I'm sitting down with the chief mind doctor at Spartan. Every day is a competition against your pride, comfort zone, fear, complacency, snooze alarms, bad habits, bad relationships, and more. This podcast is for the ambitious, willing to compete every day to make an impact in their career, health, relationships, and life. Each week, Compete Every Day founder Jake Thompson interviews leaders in business, fitness, psychology, and sports to explore what championship performers can teach us about making winning changes in life. In life. By listening today, you're deciding to start competing for your best life. What's up, competitors? How are you doing this week? How's life? How's your mindset? How's your head? For a lot of us, it's really easy to stay motivated the first week or two of January, but now, now that we're in February, a lot of that motivation starts to fade. That focus goes away from that goal, that resolution we set for the year, and we start chasing fires, immediately pressing things, things that we think are important. But in all reality, that don't move us closer to our goals our best career, or our life. They're just things that distract us and keep us busy and keep us away from the things that matter. And so this week, I want to challenge you to take a few minutes to dial in your focus. Make sure that what you're doing every single day moves you closer to those goals, that career goal, that life goal that you've set for this year and beyond. The trick is not doing one big thing once. It's not doing something great just a few times. No, the trick is consistently taking a step forward every single morning, every single day that puts you closer to where you want to be and who you want to become. It sounds simple, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. There's a reason that the majority of people out there fail to reach their goals. They fail to have just the mental resilience to take on everything life throws at them. But the few that do, the competitors, the people like you listening to this show that are determined to compete, not occasionally, not once a year, but every single day, you're the ones that inspire us because you get it done. And so this week, I'm going to challenge you to put forth that effort every day, reignite that motivation inside of you and keep going. Before I get the opportunity to introduce this week's awesome guest, I want to remind you of a few things, and I hope you're engaged with us online, but if you're not, if this is the first time checking out the show, please join our free Facebook community at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. You're going to find thousands of other competitors just like you focused on how they can get better in their health, their relationships, their career, and their life on a daily basis, making small incremental changes. You'll find people there that are going to encourage you to keep going, that are going to challenge you to live up to your true potential. And so if that sounds like something for you, if that sounds like the place for you, please jump in there and join us. As always, my name's Jake, and if you want to get in touch with me or the show, drop us an email at any time to podcast at competeeveryday.com. I read every email coming in. I love getting the opportunity to engage with all of you listeners, get feedback, and just learn what you're working on, what you're competing for, and how we can best help you win. Now, I'm excited to be able to introduce today's guest, Dr. Laura Pence. Dr. Pence and I were fortunate to get connected on social media not too long ago. She's based here in Dallas, 
and she is the chief mind doctor for Spartan. I'm fascinated at her view on the world, how she approaches her work with clients, not only on high-level performance athletes and OCR, but everyday people just like us. How does she help them reframe their focus to have the right perspective, to be grateful, and to claim their true identity? Not to rely on a sport or a career or someone else to claim that identity for us and who we think we should be, but instead, who are we really? We dive into a number of different conversations, including one about identifying our self-limiting beliefs. How do we do that? How do we take that first step toward telling ourselves real stories, changing the stories and the narratives we tell in our heads and self-sabotaging ourselves? I'm going to challenge you to stick with today's conversation because it is fantastic and it will give you daily practices that you can use to change the stories you're telling, the stories you're living, and how you're competing every day. And so without further ado, I'm excited to welcome to the show, Dr. Laura Pence. Dr. Laura, welcome to the show today. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. I love what you guys are doing. And this, so this is such a joy. It's such an honor. I'm so excited. And, and I forget how I initially found some of your work and content, uh, but was immediately fascinated by what you do uh, working from a mental performance mindset standpoint, not only with just everyday individuals, but with a lot of OCR runners and just athletes, high-end performance athletes on the other end. So if you can, for just a brief second, give us a quick thousand foot picture of who you are uh, to introduce our listeners a little bit to you. And then I just want to dive into the weeds of the work. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist here in Dallas. So I've got a private practice, which is where I spend most of my time when I'm not at home. Um, and you know, I've been in Dallas for about 10 years and primarily focused actually for the first part of my career, specifically working with eating disorders, which really actually then sort of branched out into professional athletes and pre-Olympic athletes. And then my practice just kind of grew from there and, you know, um, see lots of different types of individuals. And then Spartan found me and it was like this phenomenal fit. And so I started doing some more work in this OCR work and it's just been awesome. Yeah, and that's a fascinating journey, and I see it looking back, looking at it, you see that because a lot of the issues and things that we struggle with in life, we may call it nutrition, we may call it performance, it all comes back to the mindset, and there's so much going on in our heads about yep. that. What initially led you down this path into this field to even start working initially with eating disorders, but uh, just with the desire to help how people thought and perceived themselves and treated themselves? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, and like always sort of, even sort of makes the big question mark in my head, right? Because it's like, why why did I do this? Um, and I was on a podcast once with Matt B. Davis and he was like, wait, your parents were in the film business. Like, how did this happen? But, um, you know, I think actually the easiest answer is that like in eighth grade, I took a behavioral change course and we talked about, like the idea that you can actually like get people to do different things based on how they're thinking or how you tell them to think, you know, when we read some of those like super simple experiments. Right. And I just found it fascinating. I was like, this is so cool. Like we're, we are so much more complex than we think we are and our unconscious brain and like the, 
um, the belief systems that pop up that we don't even know are popping up that are like controlling our behavior. Like this is like zombie stuff and I'm so super into it. So, um, so yeah, so I just sort of caught the bug and then it was really simple. Like I went to college totally knowing that I wanted to major in psychology and just like really went down kind of this easy path of like, actually what I'm doing today is always what I've wanted to do. So it's sort of this amazing, like dream come true kind of situation, I guess. That's awesome. You, what I find fascinating about your career, especially when you talk about the education and knowing what you were going to do going to college, not only do you have your doctorate, you also have an MBA. And so I, I was curious why <laughs> you chose that route on the path. Cause you don't traditionally see that. No, totally. So it's funny, actually, like my first year in graduate school, I went to this super psychoanalytic program, right? So like a lot of like Freud's work and stuff like that, where, where there's sort of, you know, it's kind of that like nebulous place of like, well, we kind of know this, but we don't really know that. And um, I remember my first year in graduate school, I went to um, my faculty advisor and I was like, I don't know that this is my jam. Like, I think I need something like a little bit more concrete, a little bit like all or nothing. And he was like, well, don't quit because you've been talking about how you wanted to be a therapist forever. So don't quit, but like maybe just head over to the business center and do some accounting or something. So that's actually literally what I did. Like I went over to the business center and I was like, um, at that point they were offering a joint degree program. So you could get your doctorate and your MBA at the same time. So I was like, I think I just need a little bit of calculus. And that totally worked. <laughs> um, but I have found actually that it has served me tremendously because the truth of the matter is, is that yes, we're in the helping field. And, and, you know, I think so often there's sort of this assumption that like, well, if you want to help people, then you don't want to make money. And I think that there's often sort of this assumption that like, if you are helping people, then you're not making money. Yep. And I think there's also an assumption that one should feel guilty about making money when you're helping people. Yep. And so me getting my MBA like really allowed me to sort of expand my, my vision of like, this is also a business. Like I, I love helping people and I love being a part of lives that are transformed, but I also like being successful and I don't have to feel guilty about that. And I can run my business successfully and efficiently and also help people. Like it doesn't, you know, you can get all of these, those three things. So I think it served me really well in that way. Yeah. It's interesting. Those things that, society puts out there, but that we kind of tell ourselves as well that totally. you should feel guilty about doing this. But in all reality, it's, it's bad if you don't know how to run the business because you're not able right. to help people for very long if you're not in business much longer. Totally. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I'd love to flash forward a little bit as I was sharing offline. We have a lot of listeners that love Spartan. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of listeners that, that just are OCR junkies, I would say, that have moved out of CrossFit or other sports to really do this as a, a passion. And what I enjoy most about Spartan is there are obstacles and there are adversities. And if, if certain things aren't achieved, you have punishments. You can do burpees and right. all sorts of things that are similar to life. Like it's not always going to go the way you planned it. Right. When you are talking uh, with your work, do you focus primarily on the high-end athletes or do you have Spartan people that race Spartan kind of across the board? Yeah, totally across the board. Totally across the board, which is my favorite part because, you know, I think the, the games that we play with ourselves in our head and the, the obstacle, like the mental obstacles that we come up against are 
so similar across the board, right? I mean, it, you know, like when you get down to really like the common theme of what's going on, whether it's like, you know, the elite racer who's in Tahoe and racing championships and saying to themselves, like, I'm not good enough to be here versus like the, the person who signed up for their very first sprint and they're at the starting line saying, I'm not good enough to be here. It's all that same kind of mentality. So I think that I love that piece that like across the board, there really are similar themes that come up. So yeah, I mean, it's individuals who haven't even run a Spartan race yet, but I'm trying to get them to like move towards that and work towards that. And the elites that, you know, might be, might be certainly further along in sort of their awareness of what their body's capable of doing, but also very, in some ways, kind of stuck in some of the same mental games. What, what do you see in your work with people perhaps after the race, or let me back that up, what do you see most often in people going into the race that separates their experience from being a great one to just being miserable because of all these burpees, all these things they've had to do? So the first thing that comes up for me when you say that actually is gratitude. Um, that I think the individuals who see this as like, I, there was that movie like Rise of the Suffer Fest, right? Like I think individuals who see this as suffering and see this as like this awful experience actually aren't stepping into the arena of gratitude that like, how cool is it that you get to be there, right? Like how awesome is that, that like you get to race and that you you get to experience something that like, yeah, it might kind of suck in the moment, but like is also kind of awesome, right? So I think in some ways like that, <clears throat> part of gratitude and like really having an awareness of where to step into gratitude separates some of the great from just the good. Um, like, I mean, when you talk to the elite athletes, like so many of them are just grateful for this opportunity, right? And they'll say that right off the bat, like, I'm just grateful to be here, man. Like, it's a gorgeous day. Like, this is an awesome course. So gratitude is the first thing that definitely comes up for me. What are, what are some things that you've seen be effective in helping people just start to practice that mindset more on, on a daily basis or for those events, because I know people listening, maybe they run, maybe they don't, but having that daily gratitude is such a, a crucial piece of overall life success. Yeah. And I know it's an area a lot of people struggle in. Um, and so I'm curious what you would see as kind of beginning steps for someone to, to start moving toward more of a mindset and lifestyle of gratitude. Yeah. So a, a simple gratitude practice. And, you know, I, I say simple though, sometimes not easy, but it doesn't have to be hard. Right. And I think people get so caught up in like meditation practice or a journal practice or a gratitude practice, because I think there are such expectations for them of like, okay, well, if I, if I start journaling every morning, then like it has to be good. And if I meditate, then it has to be for 10 minutes with candles and patchouli on a yoga mat. And it's like, we can, we can rewrite the story for how we actually do these things. And so like for me, my gratitude practice, actually part of my gratitude practice is every night, not in the morning, but every night when I'm having dinner with the family, we say something we're grateful for. Right. Um, and so and then I have another gratitude practice that isn't regular, but it's, you know, it's enough for me. And that's, I have an individual, like an account of buddy who I send my gratitude list to. So, um, and I think the other thing, the, the thing too, is in a gratitude practice where you're identifying the things you're grateful for, one of the key parts of that is like, just being simple, 
you know, like, um, like me this morning, grateful for my boys dressing up in greatest showman costumes. Cause that was awesome, <laughs> you know, and like brought joy to my life. And I'm grateful for like the homemade bread I made last night. Cause it was delicious this morning. And I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be these like expansive things. It's like, well, I'm grateful to be on this planet. You know, it doesn't, it, yes, that can be great. Be grateful for that. But also it's totally fine to stay kind of simple and just day to day. And I actually think that it's sometimes those things that ground us the most, like really in the present, like what, what in this moment am I grateful for rather than like this expansive worldview kind of. No, I, I think that's huge. And especially the fact of starting small, it yeah. doesn't have to be 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be this massive journal. And a lot of times we come under the assumption that if we can't do it great, if we can't do it even good the first time, then why even do it? It's totally. like, you know, looking at Spartan, like why would you go and sign up for a beast? Just do a sprint first, like start small, do a local 5k to run and then move totally. into something. It's okay to take those small steps forward because you're more likely to stick with something. Totally. It's small and easier at first. On that same note, because gratitude keeps us present, it keeps us uh, constantly focused on being things we're grateful for and allowing us to move forward. One of the things you mentioned earlier was about our kind of zombie-like attitudes that we have in life, the, the things <laughs> that our brain are telling us, and we're just day by day going through that, unaware perhaps of self-limiting beliefs or things that have been ingrained in us. There's a lot of times in life we struggle with stuff and we feel like other people perhaps have this missing formula that we're missing when in reality, it's just shifting our thoughts just a little bit because yep. there are things that we're doing that maybe we're not even aware of besides working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, which is incredibly helpful in that sense. What are ways that you encourage people to kind of evaluate some of their own beliefs, whether it's a positive or a negative one to start finding where those self-limiting beliefs are to stepping out more into their career or their health or their life? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I'm really big on using the concept of stories, really, right? So like the idea of like, what's the story I'm telling myself right now and how is it serving me? Um, and <clears throat> so when I'm working with an individual to kind of help unleash more knowledge around what's keeping them stuck, or as you even said, like what's maybe moving them forward, you know, it's about, um, for me, helping them identify what story is in their head. So, um, you know, the story could be, for example, if somebody is really hesitant to sign up for a Spartan race, right? Then the story that might be keeping them stuck and might be preventing them or creating a barrier or an obstacle to them signing up for that Spartan race is, I'm not athletic, right? And that story could be seated in fourth grade when they weren't picked for kickball. Right. Wow. Like it, it can, it, it starts from somewhere, but it's, it's seeded then. And then it got roots because in eighth grade, they were left out of the baseball team. And then in 11th grade, they tried out for football, but they only made JV, you know, it's like it, it's seeded somewhere and then it grows roots. But I think being able to identify those stories really helps in our ability to rewrite them right? Because if we don't know what story is like driving our behavior, then we can't, we can't even ask ourselves, is it serving us or not? Because we don't know what's serving us or not. So <clears throat> for me, I think identifying those stories is a really helpful way to get people a little bit more aware of if they're stuck, why they're stuck. And if they're moving forward, why they're moving forward, you know, because the alternative of that could be, <clears throat> you know, you keep signing up for Spartan races and you keep like 
totally doing awesome and doing great. Like what story is serving you? And their story is, well, I never was told that I couldn't, you know, like I've always been told you can do this. So that's just what keeps playing in my head is like, you can do a super. Yeah, I can do a super, you know, or like, how about a beast? Yeah, beast, no problem. You know, it's like that serving you. So I think the stories is always a helpful place. And that's super easy for individuals to do at home, right? For them to just ask themselves, like, what story is happening right now? And what is that story serving you? That's that's an incredibly powerful point. And and one of the things you said that struck a note with me is the stories we tell ourselves. And sometimes those stories have to change. Uh, And part of it being, you know, I think a lot of people have gotten heavily involved with Spartan, with CrossFit, with other sports, because they used to be athletes. And they were athletes growing up. And then suddenly high school ended or college ended and they weren't an athlete anymore. And so that identity was gone. And the story they had always told themselves was gone. And for a lot of people, you struggle mentally with that new chapter because you don't know who you are, how to identify yourself. And then suddenly you have a new sport. I can do this. This is who I am. How do you in a healthy way see, let me ask that again. What healthy ways do you see in athletes that are able to separate what they run from who they are? Oh, so good identity, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of the areas where I think people really kind of struggle with the most. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of it boils down to the language we use, right? And, um, you know, it, it serves people to say, I'm a runner, you know, but even just the simple tweak of I run also serves people a different way. It's the same way that like, if you think about somebody who, um, who has an eating disorder, right? Who says, I am anorexic versus I suffer from anorexia. It's like a little bit of a separation of the disease so it doesn't become the full identity. Yeah. So I think language can be really, really helpful in that. Um, like even just like if you're so tied up and feel like your identity is wrapped around being a runner or being a, an athlete, you know, it, and if it's not serving you, like if you can't if you can't expand your world outside of that, if you have a difficult time sort of acknowledging where you where else you might belong, then to really ask yourself, like, how is it serving you to say, I'm an obstacle runner and that's my identity versus I run obstacles and that helps make me part of who I am, but it's not all that I am, right? And again, it's like that simple tweak in language, but it's the simple tweaks in language that really make a difference and matter to us, right? All I'm thinking about is I have to do all this stuff today or I get the opportunity to do this. Totally, yeah, exactly. And and so I I love those simple tweaks that we start to make in our lives because we start to little by little, it's not an instantaneous, you're going to say it one time and it's going to change, but it's going to start to help you slowly shift who you are, how you see yourself and how you see the world. And and the way you even just position that, I think is beautiful for the listeners of not, I'm, I'm a runner. I run. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. Uh, I just recently finished Atomic Habits by James Clear And he talks about the importance of even the bad workouts, like just going into the gym, it may be 15, 20 minutes, it may be terrible, you leave, you're like, that was the worst workout ever. But all it's doing is mentally, it's reinforcing that I am a person who works out, Yeah, putting that into your body versus skipping the day and doing absolutely nothing, which doesn't reinforce that. 
Yep. This is the same thing. I am a person who runs, but I, not necessarily I am a runner. I think we use that because we want to belong to that community of other runners. We want to belong to that Spartan community as well. Totally. They don't accept us. Then who are we? Do we suddenly not have that identity? And so I love that, that aspect of the community, right. but I also love that there's a healthy way to express that without feeling like you live and die on that one community acceptance that everyone yeah. there is like, yeah, we all run, we all do obstacles. Um, but it's not necessarily who we are as people. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, like, I think being able to identify what is it about obstacle racing that you love and actually how is that more your identity? Right. So like, for me, one of the things that I love about obstacle racing is adventure. Like I love going out on the course and, you know, not knowing what's around the corner. Right. And like, you know, not knowing, am I going to go downhill? Am I going to go uphill? Am I going to see twister? or Am I going to see the rig? You know, like, is it going to be a double bucket or one bucket? You know, it's like, I don't know. And I love that sense of adventure. So I love running obstacle racing, but not because that makes me part of who I am, but because it's in alignment with my value. It's in an alignment with my value of adventure, right? And of other things too, like me being strong and taking risk and challenge and accomplishment. But, but primarily it's, it's in that alignment with adventure. So I think, you know, also really like a way to kind of help yourself understand your identity is to ask yourself, what is it about this that I like so much? Like, what is it, where am I finding myself in here that feels so good to me? And that's going to help solidify your identity, not the actual, not the running itself or the rowing or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's what's in there that's in alignment with your values. That's going to make you show up for it. That's awesome. I I love that fact. I know the listeners are just probably taking notes furiously unless they're driving and I'm hoping (laughs) to saving this and coming back to it later because you've dropped a wealth of knowledge on us today and, and really how we can be more mentally focused, present and resilient, which is not only key in our health and athletic endeavors, but just in life and our career, because a lot of those same issues we talked about having on the course you have in your career, you have in your life. And so there, there's so many parallels and takeaways. Dr. Laura, if somebody's listening to the show and is like, I have got to find out more about her, the work she's doing, where can I follow along? Where's the best place to find you online? Awesome. So two main places, um, Instagram, of course, at Dr. Laura Pence. Um, and then you can also find me, I launched a new YouTube series. So if you just go to the search tab and put in Dr. Laura Pence and it's Laura, L-A-R-A, not Laura, um, you'll find a series that I just started that has a lot of these concepts in it. It's basically like if you devoted a year into sort of more therapeutic and psychological concepts, like what would you find? And that's what this is. There are four minute videos are super short. So Instagram, YouTube, and then you can go to my website, www.drlarapence. Feel free to reach out to me. Like I'm super available in terms of, you know, getting back to you and things like that. So absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And we've linked to both. You'll have links right above our picture. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see them right there, but they'll also be in the show notes for the video as well as today's podcast. Thank you so incredibly much for coming on the show today. Awesome. Thank you for having me and everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Visit CompeteEverydayPodcast.com to learn how you can get connected with other everyday competitors. Contact the show and find resources to help compete for your best life.